Vivo qualitative data analysis software empowers researchers around the world to discover rich insights within their qualitative data. This podcast gives you unique insights into the methods, the processes, and the passions of researchers. Welcome to the InVivo podcast, Between the Data. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Stacey Penna, the Growth Marketing Director at Lumavero, and today's podcast is with Katrina Noel, president of No Research, a qualitative market research consulting service, has built a female-focused, full-service qualitative consultancy that specializes in creating client-customized designs by combining methodologies from traditional in-person research with online and mobile approaches. So welcome, Katrina. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. So first question is, how did you get started working with qualitative research? The early days in my career, I got exposed to qualitative. I was working at the time for an entertainment company, and we were trying to figure out how to launch a new channel. And I was assisting the creative director and got borrowed by the person at the entire network who was in charge of doing market research to go take notes for her. And so I had only been in the marketing side of things for a couple of years at that point and got very excited initially by seeing that there was another option instead of, you know, poking people with a stick and telling them what they wanted (laughs) and needed. There was a job that involved asking them and telling Mm -hmm. companies about it. So that's kind of how I got my first glimpse. And to be perfectly honest, it's why I still think the work is so valuable and enjoy what I do, that ability to pass the mic. Who are your typical clients and and like what types of results or insights are they looking for? We focus specifically on a couple industries. We do a lot of work in financial services and a lot of work in retail. You know, we work, do some work with higher ed and media and a couple other verticals as well, but those are two big tent poles. And I think that's interesting because the through line is spending, saving, investing, like kind of money coming in and out, right? Whether you're retail or financial services. And I like that kind of continuity to a lot of the work that we do. But regardless of industry, people come to us usually when they are going to try a new thing, right? And they want, I mean, I'm just gonna put this in like people Mm -hmm. terms, right? So Mm -hmm. we're gonna do a new thing, should we? Gonna go reach a new audience, how do we do that? Or something is wrong, why? Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I think of the three buckets (laughs) of when they reach out. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and what type of methodologies do you use? Because I, I, you know, I went to your website and I found it really intriguing seeing all the different ways you go after trying to find those results. We do the full gamut of anything qualitative. So anything you think of, whether it be a focus group or an interview or a diary study, a bulletin board, any kind of those techniques. We say we talk to people in all shapes and sizes, right, of conversations, but we've also come up with a couple other methodologies that we think are really important beyond those traditional points of focus. We have an intercept methodology that we call booth insights, like a booth, um, which is when it started. We actually have a physical booth, but we also have the ability to intercept people digitally now. So we really push that a lot because it's a great way of getting fresh people kind of in the moment in a way that pre-recruited studies, you know, there's, as you know, there's time, budget, energy, bias, potentially, like there's all kinds of things that come into when you're pre-recruiting. So we, we try to leverage that interceptor approach. And also on the other side of things, 
I don't know if how many people think about this as being a qualitative research approach, but we do a lot of workshops. We do a lot of facilitated workshops, whether it's a co-creation session with customers or for the client and stakeholder teams as a way of digesting the insights. Qualitative insights are just so human and so real that we think there just needs to be some space put around them to kind of facilitate that conversation and digestion of the insights. So that's not a research methodology, but it often ends up in our project scope. Sure. So I want to follow up on the booth method because can you take us through the process? Because you're talking about, I, I thought it was like if you're at a conference at a booth, is that what you're describing? That's one way to do it. That's one right? way. Okay. For B2B audiences, it's great to go where they are. Conferences, events, seminars, summits, all those things. We also have done it a lot in retail environments. So we will set up actually in the store or in kind of a, there's great spaces right now that you can book that are kind of pop-up locations Mm -hmm. and they mean it to be a pop-up store, but you can do (laughs) pop-up research. (laughs) That's cool. If you book the space, you can do what you like in it. So we've done it at the Mall of America. We've done Uh kind of all kinds of different places with that. So we've done like trade shows, Mm -hmm. farmers markets, those types of things, anywhere where you can be in a place to grab Mm -hmm. people and ask, you know, their thoughts something. But really the the ones that we can do in store are super actionable for our retail clients because they can test things. So they can change their marketing in the store Mm -hmm. or they can change signage or they Mm -hmm. can change product layout. And we can be in there a few different times through that process and kind of do these check-ins because the deliverable is really, we say, up to 20 quality conversations a day. So we can hear from 20 people and then, you know, they can redesign the store or change the product assortment or do something else wow. up to 20 more. And we can kind of see what that change is. That's pretty neat. Cause that's like pretty quick change, right? Like versus, <laughs> you know, doing the whole, re- I mean, I'm sure you do a report too, but they can start making changes even before the final analysis. It sounds like. Yeah. And often, you know, they'll come and hang out with us Mm -hmm. and see part of the deliverable is a, we call it a video playlist. So it's Mm -hmm. not really like a perfectly produced reel. It's like a a folder of Mm -hmm. the key moments. So they've got that, they've got the report. And yeah, there's sometimes, you know, wanting to change things while we're there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wait, hang on, we got to get to 20. (laughs) It's a great way of really getting that raw, quick insight. Yeah. I I like that. I want to try it. And, you know, it's doable, right? Like any of these things, this is, you know, technically trademarked, but it is putting the pieces together of what Mm -hmm. we all know how to do as researchers. It's just kind of thinking about, I'm a big fan of productizing things. I'm a big fan of packaging things so that it's easy to understand and easy to kind of plug and play. But yeah, I think especially with everything going on in the industry from kind of a fraud and quality perspective and all of that intercepts or intercepts like that's mm-hmm. who the person is you know mm-hmm. <laughs> they're qualified because they're in the store at the time done you know yeah. <laughs> so, so i think we i hope we see a little bit of a, of a resurgence this podcast is sponsored by LumaVero, developers of Invivo and other software designed by and for data experts to illuminate powerful new insights that help customers make decisions with confidence if you're looking for a better way to collaborate and share Invivo projects with your colleagues or team, try using Invivo Collaboration Cloud with the 14-day trial.
So you mentioned some of these already, but you know, I noticed on your website, you have both some very unique and innovative ways, like the booth method that you just talked about, ways of collecting qualitative data, but then you also are using more traditional methods too. So can you talk about some of those that have made a difference with your research? The traditional methods are traditional for a reason. They work. We have so many tools now. It's really crucial that the research design process is very thoughtful and you're able to put the pieces together in a meaningful way. We do a lot of what we call it like a funnel approach, right? Where you start with a larger group and then whittle down. So whether that's a three-day discussion board into 10 interviews or, you know, that's the way we do ethnographies or in-home or in-situ interviews a lot. Mm -hmm. We take a larger sample and then cherry pick who we're going to see because, you know, time and money and all of that mm-hmm. stuff, you know, mm-hmm. might as well vet everyone and know that those houses you're going into are the right mm-hmm. ones. I think we use the traditional approaches, but we always think how we can do mixed method, how we can stack it, how we can funnel it, how we can make it, it an efficient process mm-hmm. as well and not, you know, fall back on the two groups and four cities and one week, you know, like that's right. not the answer to everything. So I think it's really the mix and match and mm-hmm. the building that's key. Can you describe your Scoot Insights approach, which is trademark Scoot Sprint, and how that helps decision makers choose the right direction? Because I I found that intriguing too. So Scoot Insights is our sister company. So there's Mm. some crossover between the organizations, mostly me, and Scoot runs Scoot Sprints, and the no research clients have an opportunity to kind of purchase that product as part of their research. And the Sprint approach is really focused on the stakeholder team. So research is involved, but it doesn't even have to be conducted as part of our project. It could be past research that they have. It could be, you know, any number of things. We use research to bring a diverse stakeholder team to the table gathered around, like forming consensus based on customer Mm -hmm. insights, basically. So it's about making a decision. We often have teams come to us and they've got, you know, an advertising agency and media planners and creatives, or maybe it's a company that has recently, there's been a merger or there's been some sort of disruption in the organization itself, and they need to come together around a decision. Those Mm -hmm. are often advertising, messaging, product launch, display, those kinds of like go, no go, A, B, what are we going to do? And while there's a lot of approaches to get there, you could do in market A-B testing, you could do Mm -hmm. surveys, you could do any number of things. We find that many organizations find extreme value in not just conducting research, but working on it together Mm. and hearing it together. And so we call, we kind of stack the day. So you hear some insights, you hear from some customers, and then you pit stop because we're scooters. It's almost like there's 50% of the attention paid on the customers and 50% paid on that stakeholder team and Mm -hmm. their views and things that are important to them and things that are going to drive their business forward. And so the result of that process is a very quick turnaround report, right? We know these folks don't have a lot of time. So this often happens in a day or two. And it is about aligning them on the same direction or an insights into direction report. That's what you're getting. What made you decide to create this? You obviously saw a need to create something like this. It was really a need. It was a need that co-founder at Scoot Insights and I are both based in San Francisco. I'm not sure if that has something to do with it, but there were a lot of tech or Mm. new businesses that valued that facilitation. What we feel we're bringing is qualitative 
research skills to the facilitation work, yeah. right? And so it grew out of great, we've got these insights. Now what? I'm going to have to go convince that team or now I have to tell mm -hmm. the stakeholders about this. And we sort of, it was to solve that need of leaving them hanging, you know, mm -hmm. like, let us help you with that. Let's, let's make this the focus is helping you all get circled up <laughs> right. and ready to move forward in the same direction. Yeah. I looked at it, there's like four sort of stages part of it, or did you already describe that, the four parts of the workshop? I thought it was like a little more. Yeah, I think the whole sprint itself really is understanding all of those objectives and the stakeholder concerns, the groups involved, mm -hmm. and is there research needed? What kind of primary mm -hmm. or what are we looking at, right? That's kind of that foundation mm -hmm. stent. And then we go out and either recruit participants or review the data or whatever we're doing in that second step. Mm -hmm. The third step is the sprint. So mm -hmm. that is the day to two days of kind mm -hmm. of, you know, we tell them it's going to be intense. Right. <laughs> it's going to be full days, but we're going to, you know, we need your attention for that amount of time. And then the fourth step is that report. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, I like the so much participation, data collection, and then you get a final report that you can obviously help them, like you said, move forward with where they might have been stuck before. So, so what technology do you use to help you collect and analyze your qualitative data? For most things, we're fairly tech agnostic. So mm -hmm. we have some preferred platforms, but we're not really, you know, beholden to any one, except for the technology that we've built for synchronous field work. So mm. we built our own virtual backroom, our VBR, for lack of a catchier name. It's a browser-based research platform for our clients and observers and brand teams to be able to watch the research and collaborate behind the scenes. Now, mm. again, that's not new. There's lots of software that you can buy that does that. I think it may be because of all of the financial services clients that we had, there were lots of barriers with working with some of those systems that involved an app download or an account mm -hmm. setup, VPN issues. And so we worked with an engineer to make sure that it was as easy as possible for people to access while mm -hmm. being secure. So that's our proprietary tech and both companies end up using that mm -hmm. platform. But other than that, we have our favorite asynchronous tools, right? Because we mm -hmm. definitely need to lean on our partners for that. For kind of coding and analysis and things like that, we should probably talk some more, but <laughs> that's, that's mostly human. <laughs> it's mostly humans. We are doing kind of an initiative that my team dubbed No Versus AI. Uh -huh. <laughs> and there's lots of like boxing match metaphors about mm. this, about human intelligence versus the bots. But we are in the process of trying out a lot of tools. We really mm -hmm. want to make sure that we pick the right one. The other thing I should mention is that for that digital booth approach, we can facilitate it ourselves. We have some, you know, hush hush ways of making that happen. Uh -huh. But we also work a lot with our clients web teams. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So if mm -hmm. we can pop up on their website or sure. on their social sites, I consider that a tech partner as well, like mm -hmm. anyone yep. we're working with, whoever's going to help us build that widget invitation mm -hmm. system. Yeah. That's a big component as well. Why is it important to you to focus on your clients learning styles? You talked a little bit about that, I guess, because I'm a former educator. <laughs> so I, some of the terminology that I was hearing, I'm like, oh, this is like teacher talk, you know? So I was just curious, like, what, why why highlight that and, and, and how do you use it? The reason why is because the insights are not going to live within the organization if they are delivered in a way that does not work for that group. So the impetus for understanding that and being able to have kind of an agile or iterative approach to deliverables is to make sure that we're 
giving people what they need so that that research can live and breathe mm-hmm. and be with, I, I always say like, the best work we can do puts ourselves out of a job for a year because they really <laughs> understand their customer and they've, they've got it for a little mm-hmm. while. So what that means in practice is we talk a lot about like, help us help you. Mm-hmm. Where is this going? What audiences are involved? What kinds of things do they need? Meaning, mm-hmm. do you need to get this down to a one sheet because mm-hmm. you've got C-suite and that's what they have time for? Mm-hmm. Do you have a board that really gets excited about video? Do Mm -hmm. you need to go into a board meeting with a beautiful three-minute reel about the insights? And or do you need the 60-page PowerPoint with like Mm -hmm. nothing in the appendix because you (laughs) detail people and you need to really understand all of that? So I think it's just having that conversation about how you and your team does learn and absorb. We had a great example recently where this is in progress at the moment, but the client is working with a series of regional managers and needs to communicate not just what they learned, And then like, so what you should do this in your market. So we're going to put together one of our deliverables as a podcast round table Mm -hmm. where we talk to the research team and we interview them about what they learned from the project and what Mm -hmm. their team needs to know. And so that will be kind of an intercompany education piece to go out and tell them, okay, market leads. This is the plan for 2024. That kind of thing is really exciting for us to work mm-hmm. on too, because it's getting pulled down the path longer, right? And mm-hmm. seeing how you're helping that organization mm-hmm. in the future, not just, and this is what they think. Yeah. So it sounds like it's learning styles, but also different ways to deliver the results or content to people. Like you said the podcast could be a video. So it's like where they are, or a lot of times you need all three. People need to hear it, see it, read it, you know, to sometimes digest it. I saw you talked about one of your deliverables is a podcast, which I think is very innovative way of doing things because to hear people is much different experience than reading. And I think, you know, we initially did that to cut through all of the emails and all of the slides Mm. and nothing was being read and people would come to a meeting (laughs) and, you know, you'd say, did you read it? And everyone just sort of looked at their shoes, you know, Um, I've never done that. No, never, never. None of us have. None of us have. That's kind of where that came from Mm -hmm. is, huh, what would they pay attention to? Would they listen for five minutes? And we found that that doesn't work for certain organizations. That's not how they work, but we always ask like, Mm -hmm. what, you know, help us help you by which we give you and your team. We'll take a quick break from the episode. You can find more information about Katrina's qualitative research work by visiting noresearch at noresearch.com, K-N-O-W research.com, and Scoots Insights at scootsinsights.com, S-C-O-O-T insights.com. So what innovations do you see coming our way with qualitative research? I mean, AI, we know, but... (laughs) Yes, and I think AI is another set of tools, really. I am not in the fear camp on this. The example I always use with people is, oh, do you not like machine translations? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You you know, like we use this stuff already. Like this is already in the game here. I don't know if it's a prediction or a hope that's in one of those buckets, Mm -hmm. is leaning more on qualitative I'm going to come back to kind of the valid industry concern around panels, databases, quality, fraud, all of that stuff. I sit mm-hmm. on a few, you know, mm-hmm. work groups about the issue because because it's trickle downing into us, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, it's definitely, we're definitely seeing it more than we ever did get into qualitative. But I really think almost because of that, there hopefully 
will be more reliance on qualitative, more belief in the result of qualitative. I know there are plenty of things you have to validate. Plenty of things have to be statistically significant, but I do think that qualitative can answer a lot, can help stakeholders make the decision a lot, right? Not make the decision, but help them make the decision, which is a nuanced difference there. (laughs) I hope that people will be listened to and AI may help us get a larger qual sample to kind Mm -hmm. of help that. I mean, I always think that social media listening or analysis work, that's a bunch of qual. Mm-hmm. That is a large mm-hmm. scale qual. Yep. So I would put that in our world and in our bucket. That's listening to people, right? You could validate mm-hmm. that by saying there's a million online conversations about this. So mm-hmm. I think we just have to get more creative with what's validating and what's projectionable. And when do you, you, you might be able to use directional mm-hmm. more than you thought. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm not in the fear camp either. <laughs> Not yet, um, anyway. Sometimes not yet. Not yet. You're right. Sometimes I wish I would have retired before. I thought I was going to be retired before all this happened, but you know, I can hang in there for a little while. <laughs> so you have your own podcast. So why did you decide to create Trip, which is the Research Inclusion Project podcast? My co-hosts, Kristen Spragans and I were talking about inclusive insights in 2019. We were on a little bit of a soapbox, and the soapbox got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the podcast is how we decided to talk about it. So we started off talking about from a geography standpoint, Mm -hmm. it was 2019, we were still Mm -hmm. flying around doing everything right. And we were kept going to the same markets and the same cities. And we had this study for this grocery store chain and they said they couldn't find anybody. And we said, but that's ridiculous. You like couldn't find anybody in recruiters databases. And we're like, well, let's just go. Let's just go Mm -hmm. and find the people and convincing clients to go out of the main metro areas to like the second and third tier cities was harder than it should have been. So that was, well, it's, you know, I have to transfer flights. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I have to rent a car. Yes. Yes, you do. So we sort of started from there of how can we cast a wider net? That was the phrase we used a lot then about casting Mm -hmm. a wider net. And that was November of 2019. And then what happened happened. And we started talking to people about that. And people would kept saying other ways in which you could cast a larger net. Like, are you thinking about this population? Are you thinking about this form of inclusivity? What about this? What about this? And so we just started having those conversations and we wanted to collect them. We wanted to kind of collect and give voice to everyone's version of their push for a more inclusive insights world. We definitely approach this as bite-sized This is how you make your next project one tick more inclusive than the last Mm -hmm. one, right? This is not boiling the ocean. This is not solving all of humanity's problems. This is really tactically helping people learn how to get that much closer Mm -hmm. because we're never going to make it, right? We're never going to be check the inclusivity box and be done. We've approached it as kind of a joint passion project. It's not sponsored by either of our companies. It's something that we do to keep ourselves inspired (laughs) and be able to bring that to others. Can you give an example of a podcast episode that talk? I mean, I know they're all about that inclusivity, but one in particular. I'm going to give an example of the fastest impact. (laughs) So we've talked to a lot. One of our guests was Marianne Mendez, and she is a researcher and she is also blind. And so she was having a conversation with us about differently abled participants and team members. Mm-hmm. That's actually a really interesting layer for all these tech tools and platforms. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. can they be used by everybody? And so we asked her, how do we get this right? 
how do we make sure we're accommodating people, but we're asking it in the right way? Or, you know, what do we do about screeners? What do we do about, and we were, you know, and she said, well, you just ask if there's anything they need to be accommodated with. (laughs) (laughs) It was such a, it was such a simple, like, oh, we can do that. We're allowed to do that. And she's like, look, we know what you mean. Yeah. Like those of us who need an accommodation, if yeah. we're asked that question, it's up to us to yep. self-report and let you know that we use a screen reader or we use a different technology or we're in a wheelchair. She's like, mm-hmm. we know. I think it was within a week that our screener starters, we have a kind of a screener template. Both companies in a week changed it. We still have that question at the end of all of our screeners saying, mm-hmm. is there anything we can do to accommodate you? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's things like that, right? Like mm-hmm. that just made such an impact on my businesses. And I got to have a conversation with our recruiting partners about mm-hmm. why we were adding that and that it was okay to ask it open-ended and just mm-hmm. put whatever somebody says in that column. And yeah, so that that's kind of, the, for me, that's the goal of the episode mm-hmm. is, oh, I can, I can do something. Like this is right. important mm-hmm. and I can do something tomorrow about this. Yes. So it's actionable. Yeah. 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 And then my last question is, what is one piece of advice you would give qualitative researchers interested in working for consultancies? First, I would say definitely do it. I think this is an industry where it is very helpful to work on all sides so that we can be empathetic with each other's needs. It's very mm-hmm. important to have some brand experience, some agency experience, some, you know, consulting experience across the board. So, so, to, so do it is the first one. And I guess get ready for the ride. I'm trying, to, <laughs> you know, um, it's really the nimbleness. I would stress the nimbleness mm-hmm. required to jump in and out of organizations mm-hmm. with very different structures and politics and priorities. Mm-hmm. And honestly, being as fascinated by that as you are with the participants in your study. I think that part of the get you out of bed in the morning stuff is understanding how all these systems and companies work and who, you know, what do I need to do to be helpful there? And finding that interesting, finding that challenge interesting in the same way that the research is interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You could maybe do a research project on that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could write a book at this point. I won't. Don't worry anyone listening to this, but I could, right? And I think that just makes you a good, not only good researcher, but makes you a really good business person. And Mm. we have to be, right? If we're really helping these organizations, we have to know our way around company politics, priorities, ROI, KPIs. Like we need to know Mm. all marketing language, all Mm. of that stuff to be able to be really good partners. So yeah, that really has to be as interesting as the work Mm -hmm. of the work. Great. Thank you for talking with us and thanks to those listening and tuning in. If you learn more about innovations and qualitative consultancy, we'd appreciate your support by rating and subscribing to the Invivo podcast. This helps us to share these amazing narratives with the research community. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Between the Data. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more about Invivo podcasts and community events, please visit go.invivobyqsr.com slash community or email me, Stacy Penna, at s.penna, P-E-N-N-A, at qsrinternational.com. <laughs>